Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Justin Bowie and Rachel Amory to talk about the big stories of the week. The episode comes at the end of a busy few days which saw a change at the top of the SNP group in Westminster which we will discuss in full and another big set of promises from former Prime Minister Gordon Brown and it's on that last bit that we will start. It's been eight years since we all got a say on Scottish independence. A few days before that vote, Gordon Brown piped up with some stirring speeches and lent his political weight to a set of unionist promises which will forever be known as the vow. I remember it well, but here's my attempt at an ultra-quick recap. At its heart was an attempt to finally put forward something positive to people looking for a coherent unionist package. Its backers said a no vote would lead to stronger devolution, while yes supporters saw it as a desperate plea. Gordon Brown, of course, famously latched onto it with promises of something approaching home rule, a concept which is pretty hard to pin down. And of course, he wasn't in office, so could do little about that when David Cameron celebrated Scotland's no vote by telling everyone it was time to listen to England. That went down as you'd expect, but we did end up with a lot more devolution, which many in the SNP applauded as a step in the direction that they want to go. Others, whipped up by former First Minister Alex Salmond, bought into his idea he lost because of the vow. It's still a sore point to some, even though polls suggest it would have been a no vote anyway. But here we are. So why is Mr Brown back? Well, it looks like Labour are going to win the next general election. And he wants more reform, including the one about the Lords, which Labour has been promising in some form since before my gran was born, and she's nearly 100. I'm here with my political reporting colleagues to track back over this latest promise. And we'll hear later from SNP MP Douglas Chapman, who has the pleasure of Mr Brown being his constituent. But first, let's have a listen to the man himself. There was a missing element in the devolution plans of the past. We were so keen to get powers into Scotland, into Wales, and now to get powers into other areas, that sometimes we forgot there was a missing element. And the missing element was we left the centre of the United Kingdom unreformed. We had an unreformed House of Lords, the centre was holding on to too much power. Devolution and decentralisation was not happening in crucial areas. And now today, we can rectify some of this. Because we have a centre that, in my view, under the Conservatives, that is completely out of touch with local needs. It's out of date because it has not reformed itself. It's out of its depth when it tries to micromanage decisions as we found over the pandemic that should be made locally. And of course, we have seen in so many different instances, it's out of control. Corruption, cronyism, contracts to friends. We're seeing it only that in the last few days in some of the scandals that are being reported. Abuse of power, abuse of patronage, and no doubt we'll see in the next few weeks when Boris Johnson has his resignation honours list and Richie Sunak has to approve it. Uh, another example of cronyism in practice. Okay, so let's think about the, the promises that um, he goes on to, to elaborate in the, the, the big package that he's put to the Labour Party, which Keir Starmer, as Labour leader, needs to approve, which he says he will do after consultation. Um, Rachel, you've been looking at what the actual wider reform from the centre might look like, particularly with Scotland in mind. 
Yeah, of course. Now, as you mentioned there, the promises for the House of Lords have been going on for quite a while. But there's a few other things they've been talking about. Um, so, for example, clamping down on MPs' second jobs, having an anti-corruption commission, commissioner, um, looking to have elected style mayors, similar to Andy Burnham in Manchester, that kind of idea. So I think there's a few things there that people might sort of, especially if they're kind of on the fence with independents might think, oh, actually, maybe that's a good idea because it gives a bit more devolution, gives a bit more power to Scotland without the uncertainty that independents might bring. Well, he also talks about double devolution, and that was something that Anas Sarwar, as the Scottish Labour leader, has often joined joined him in, in, in supporting. The idea being that, of course, they think that the SNP has a centralising tendency, which the SNP dispute, but they think that the Scottish government has too much power to itself and they want councils to have more power. So that's, I suppose that's where the, the elected mayor, which is a, a more of an English concept, how, how, would that, is there much appetite for that here? A directly elected mayor of Edinburgh or Glasgow, for example, or Aberdeen, Dundee? Yeah, it depends on how they work, isn't it? Because you do... I, th- I think there is a tendency to look towards Edinburgh when it comes to things like this. But I suppose if you were to go down to the community levels... People are calling for it. People do think, yeah, put more hands in the people who live in the communities and understand the communities the best. So uh, there might very well be that appetite within Scotland, particularly if when you go outside the central belt, to some of the sort of rural areas of the Highlands and the Islands, for example. Mm. All of this hinges on several things. A Labour win, for one, which is still a way off. Um, then all the consultation and everything else. Also, the SNP not winning a massive majority, having told voters that they're standing for independence on a sort of single issue ticket. Keir Starmer made it clear when he was in Edinburgh just a couple of days ago, um, well, I say clear, it took many, many questions, but that he wouldn't accept the premise of an election being seen as a vote for leaving the UK. Justin, does that does that sound fair? Well, I suppose in many regards, you could argue Labour are just wanting to win the next election and they would fear that if they grant a referendum, that's going to reduce their chances. The Tories could then say that they are weak on the union. So is it fair? Not necessarily. You could argue that the SNP and Greens have a majority in Holyrood. They argue that that gives them a mandate to hold a referendum. But I'm not too sure that Labour are necessarily bothered about fairness. From their perspective, they just want to win an election. And they think if they do that and if they implement reforms that people in Scotland and the wider UK like, that might reduce the appetite for independence. Whether that will actually happen, though, is, is a big question. Yeah, the Supreme Court, of course, and we talked about this in an earlier episode, um, they, they, the Supreme Court ruled that recently that the Scottish Parliament doesn't have the power under our UK constitution of sorts to, to hold a referendum without Westminster's consent. And that's kind of opened a bit of a, a Pandora's box, I think, and it's, it's led to Labour in particular saying, well, Nicola Sturgeon has made a promise that she can't keep. You know, she can't say we're going to uh, you know, start negotiating for independence if we get a majority because it's not in her gift. I mean, that's a political argument at its heart, really, that will just go on. Because, of course, if they do stand on that ticket and they do get a big majority, then it just it, it feeds into the idea that, well, what what is the democratic route to express a desire for independence? And of course, we're speaking after another poll, which put it up to... 56% for yes, with a few caveats there. Um, but if it keeps going in that direction, well, this argument will just keep going on and on and on. Talking of the SNP, Justin caught up with SNP man Douglas Chapman a little earlier to see what he thinks of his famous constituent's latest wheeze. 
Here's a flavour of how it went. Well, I think initially I thought it may have been a, a bit of a, a rehash of the, the vow in 2014. Uh, but obviously, I think a lot of things have been watered down. I think in, in Scotland, we were promised uh, the closest thing to federalism at that point. And, uh, you know, I think through the Smith Commission, that didn't actually transpire to, to give us that result. However, you know, I think the the uh, you know, what's been produced by Gordon Brown and, and, and Labour uh, really is a bit of a, a damp squib. I don't think it meets some of the challenges that we have in Scotland and doesn't open ourselves up to some of the opportunities that independence would bring. So really that's where I think we are. Um, I think the, probably one of the good things is that we now know what the um, unionist position would be if we go into a de facto referendum. Uh, so anything that we suggest as being uh, a plan for independence, then it needs to be measured against what Gordon Brown has produced. And uh, while I appreciate they're still, they still want to take this out to consultation and maybe hone it a bit, uh, I mean, basically, this is, this is going to be the unionist offer. And, uh, you know, the de facto referendum will be judged on that basis. If these reforms were to be on the table while Scotland is still in the, the Union, would you actually vote for them or do you think you would vote against them kind of on principle due to preferring independence? Yeah, well, I mean, I think over the years, the SNP have always said, well, you know, half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. Um, it's whether you really think that what's been put on the table is, uh, you know, going to make a significant change uh, to the resources that Scotland has at its disposal uh, and that the borrowing powers, for example, uh, were sufficient. But I'm, I'm sure that's a, a, the kind of discussion that you know a future Scottish government would um, want to to have. You know, the, the, uh, I think in general uh, we'd want to see you know the Scottish Parliament with much much more power than it has at the moment. And uh, but the the ultimate goal, obviously, is to take a country onto independence because that that means that you know we don't have to be looking over our shoulder. We don't have to be asking permission uh, from somebody else to actually make the decisions that we know are right for Scotland. And uh, really, that's that's the position we need to be able to get into. And I'm, I'm ever more confident as every day passes that uh, you know when we look at polls that are out. In the last week, 52% of people in favour of, of independence and uh, the poll that was just out today, um, I think commissioned uh, or certainly been run on um, on STV, um, you know, that's that's putting the independent, pro-independence figure at 56% and a majority uh, for SNP supporters uh, in the uh, you know, if it was a, a de facto referendum uh, general election. So I think all the pointers are pushing us in the one direction that independence is looking much more inevitable. Uh, it's just when that actually, we managed to get that over the line and, uh, you know, open up these discussions that are so needed uh, across the country because, uh, you know, we've got tremendous resources in Scotland that we should be using to better use. And, uh, you know, people are really struggling at the moment, uh, whether you're a small business, whether you're a, a family, um, or even worse, you know, a family sitting on benefits or whatever, or a pensioner. Uh, you know, we need that. We need these resources uh, to actually uh, develop the, the country, build our economy, and make sure that people are, are safer and happier and, uh, you know, more in control of uh, the, the place they live in. Okay then, 
there's a lot of food for thought there. We'll start with um, his idea that this concept that half a loaf is better than no loaf. Justin, what did you what did you take from from his conversation there? Well, I, f- I thought it was quite interesting. Obviously, in the past, the SNP, while supporting independence, have welcomed more devolution. They obviously want more power for Scotland, so I suppose anything they get, as he says, is better than nothing. But you maybe sense a growing frustration now where a lot of the SNP voters, a lot of the independent supporters are kind of like, well, we keep on getting these extra powers, but we aren't able to get the main prize. And I suppose that sentiment has maybe been reflected in MPs as well, where if they vote for these Labour reforms, if they come to pass, they're maybe seen as giving them their endorsement, but they don't want those powers, they want independence. And you wonder if there's just going to be more more agitation and those two sides between, you know, the devolution side and the independence side are just going to move further and further apart. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's neat that we're talking about um, the SNP and what they might be doing in the future because that will be um, the focus of our next little section here as we turn again to the big stories which are happening in our neck of the woods. Let's start with the big one, Rachel. Stephen Flynn's sudden rise to leadership in the SNP group at Westminster. Yes, I mean, it was only about a fortnight ago that he was tweeting uh, to try and deny claims that he was going to be the next Westminster leader. But mm. um, yeah, in the space of, um, of only a few short days, uh, Ian Blackford has stood down as Westminster leader and Stephen Flynn is the new Westminster leader for the SNP and Mary Black is his deputy. So all change at the top and the front benches. I say front benches as well because there's been a few resignations from the front benches as well. Um, yeah. I think most prominently would be uh, Pete Wishart. Um, he was the first to stand down and um, quite a scathing letter, a resignation letter that he wrote as well, wasn't it? Yeah, what, what's um, what's his beef? I mean, he, he, obviously he's a politician and much like every politician, they say, I look forward to working constructively with you in the future, but here's what I really think. Yes, he was saying he's been mused as to why he felt the need to get rid of Blackford and step into his shoes, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah, and and um, we've spoken to Stephen Flynn, our colleague Adele Merson, uh, had a nice uh, chat with him yesterday as we were recording today. So it is all available on the P&J and Courier news sites. Um, it's quite it's quite illuminating in, in the sort of the background, get to know Stephen Flynn. He's an Aberdeen South MP. He's a, a Dundee lad at heart, though. A huge fan of Dundee United, which inevitably features in pretty much everything that um, gets written about him. So, I mean, what what can we expect from Stephen Flynn? Yeah, we don't know too much about him as of yet um, or what his policies are going to be. Inevitably, though, the conversation that he had with Adele, they did speak about um, independence, of course. Uh, his first time as leader at Prime Minister's Questions, again, was on independence too. So uh, definitely going to be something that he'll want to push quite strongly for there. Um, but beyond that, though, we're not entirely sure what um, is it is going to be, what is it that is going to make him different to Ian Blackford? Yeah. Well, what's the, well this is the thing, because like, what, what was the motivation? The, the motivation for the need for a change at the top of the group. The only thing that I think came close to a, a hint of, of why is, is this comment he made about how he's got energy. Like it, it's the suggestion being that there was a lack of, energy of push and he's obviously portraying himself and Mary Black is having a lot more get up and go or something I, I'm not really sure yet but of course well yeah if you look at both um both of them they're pro- they're 
two of the youngest MPs in the Westminster group for the SNP, aren't they? So perhaps that's something that um, they're maybe wanting to to play a bit more on. Yeah, um, and his first PMQs, Ian Blackford seems behind him. He was obviously paying a lot of warm words and lots of tribute to him. But another thing that Pete Wishart put in his resignation letter from the front benches was, of course, a little dropped sentence about how there'd been not really any reason for this while he was in canvassing for sort of opinion about a, a leadership bid, which puts pay to the idea that there was no push for this going on behind the scenes while Stephen Flynn was publicly saying, I have no intention of taking over this group, not whatsoever. But of course, maybe we're overstating what, what an SNP group leader can do in one part of the party, because obviously Nicola Sturgeon's in charge. What she says goes, really. Do we know anything about the, the relationship there with, between Stephen Flynn and Nicola Sturgeon? Well, they certainly have had um, sort of photographs together um, for campaigns and things like that. But um, there was sort of suggestion that um, the other candidate, Alison Thulis, might have been more Nicola Sturgeon's choice in the matter. Um, is there any? Is there anything there to to look into? Is it? Yeah, Stephen. Well, he says that talks of that kind of a split are a, a lot of crap, to use his exact statement. So. We'll probably leave it there for that one. And you can uh, read read the full the full interview just now on the Courier and Preston Journal. Justin, what, what have you been looking at? So, um, slightly different story, but a very interesting one that Callum wrote at the start of the week. Um, and this is the ongoing saga uh, involving Grant Chaps, the former transport minister. Uh, and it relates to a flight from Moscow, which kind of um, came to Inverness, so obviously given the war in Ukraine, quite controversial, but there's been a lot of secrecy around this and it's emerged now that Grant Shapps received secret legal advice um, after the private jet you know, came to Inverness. Um, the UK government on this one have been very, very kind of, um, yeah, very secretive. They've not been wanting to say a lot about it, but obviously we've been doing some digging. Um, they've been trying to kind of, you know, use legal privilege to ex excuse or to not reply to these FOIs. Um, but yeah, this is one that keeps rumbling on, and yeah, there's been a lot of digging. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because that was this is the flight that came out of Inverness um, after sanctions had been imposed on Russia, and um, it's been quite a saga because well, it was a private jet. It's, we've tracked it around various air airports yeah. across Europe and Geneva, and it, it, there's some very intriguing ownership as well of the of the the jet well, tied to bank owners and Baltic states and things like this. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not going away. And um, I don't know what it is that Grant Shapps is, um, got uh, being his bonnet about this one. He just will not be forthcoming about, um, any of the decisions around about this flight. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Calum Ross has been all over this story and it's, it's, a, it's, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, Grant Shapps has very much tried to hand the blame off to Inverness Airport as well. So it's just a case of he does not want to take responsibility for this. And it's the fact he's not willing to release that correspondence, though, to, yeah. to clear himself just kind of hints that there's perhaps more going on behind the scenes here. And uh, we um, shout out to our listeners um, in Russia. If you if you were on that flight, just drop us a drop us a text. Uh, Rachel, you've you've what else have you been looking at? It's not just Stephen Flynn and dubious flights to Moscow. Um, well, earlier this week, I was at Nine Mills Hospital in Dundee. Um, the health secretary, Hamza Youssef, was um, visiting. Now, he was there to talk about A&E. NHS Tayside's is pretty high performing when it comes to A&E. But what we really wanted to talk to him about was the breast cancer scandal, which um, our colleague Derek 
um, was talking about um, in a previous episode of Tushy. Um, there's mounting calls for there to be a public inquiry into this scandal. Um, all the opposition parties have sort of not joined together, but have all sort of said, you know, we all agree with, with there needs to be an inquiry. Um, and when I spoke to Hamza Yusuf, he was saying he doesn't think there is a need for this. He doesn't think it's necessary, but he will certainly consider what has been put to him by the opposition parties, which is perhaps a softening from what we've previously seen from him, where he's been very much saying no to completely. So that was quite an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, and of course, this is it was last week we were talking about this. Um, there's a feature length documentary that we produced about an hour long series of 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 exclusive interviews with patients, um, whistleblowers, doctors, pharmacists, everyone who knew something about what was going on at the oncology um, department at, at NHS Tayside and how chemo doses were being reduced. And yeah, basically it's led to a near collapse basically of, of that of that service and we're trying to get answers because no one really knows whether the right things were done the wrong things were done and, and patients don't think that they've been coming out of this well at all and perhaps being put at risk but we we don't know that's why there needs to be an inquiry and it's, it's certainly one that that we would like to see as well okay well that's it for this week thanks to justin bowie rachel amory producer morvin mcintyre and of course to you for listening We'll be back next week with more, but until then, and even after then, pick up and log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed. The Stushi is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster, and our communities, so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following the Stushi today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushi Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.